This is the Instant Speed Podcast, episode number 43. Our guest today is Mitch Leslie, a.k.a. Uber, a wonderful caster, famous for Overwatch League, as well as getting into flesh and blood. We are going to be talking about his journey through casting, as well as his recent surge in uh, awesome performance in flesh and blood, what the future holds for him in flesh and blood, including a wonderful, awesome, high-level tournament that he's putting on. We'll talk about that. But before that, uh, let's just get to the facts. Again, I want to remind you that the Instant Speed Podcast is always brought to you by Kayfabe Cards. Kayfabe Cards is the place to go for flesh and blood and all your other trading card needs. Get all the tools you need to navigate the world of Wraith shipped directly to your door. You don't have to leave the house. Ain't that a thing? Ain't that a great thing? Go to www.kfabecards.com. That's www.kayfabecards.com. All right, let's get to the facts before we get to Uber. The banned and restricted announcement, poof, out of thin air, just totally ninja dusted us and said, hey, stubby hammers are no more. Stubby hammers are banned in Classic Constructed. And the next BNR announcement will be scheduled for August 30th. Now, also, the Nationals uh, Championships invites list are out. There's also an update to the ELO ratings that have been published, my friends. So if ranking is something that you are very, very in tune with, that are you very curious about where you stand on the global spectrum of uh, skill sets, the ELO ratings are published. You can go to FabTCG, check out your profile, and see what your updated ELO ranking is. I also want to welcome everybody who's listening to the Instant Speed Podcast Discord channel. We've got tournaments that go on there, deck discussions, and also you can chime in on all the content that we put out here, be it the stack or uh, the Instant Speed Podcast itself. You can sort of contribute, chime in, discuss, Lots of cool things going on. And finally, a big thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. You can go to patreon.com slash instantspeedpod. For as little as a dollar a month, you can support the podcast. And it means a lot to us. And I cannot stress this enough. This is not necessarily about you know making fat revenue so I can go ahead and, and drive a Maserati one day. This is a, literally about just keeping the lights on and supporting the content. It means so much. But you'd never mean more than you guys just tuning in and listening. So thank you to all our Patreon subscribers and supporters. And you can go again to instant speed, uh, sorry, patreon.com slash instant speed pod. All right, that's out of the way. We've got Mitch Leslie, aka Uber, on the program. The Instant Speed Podcast welcomes one of the most charismatic voices in all of esports. He is an official caster for the Overwatch League, and most recently a major threat on the Flesh and Blood tournament circuit. He is also responsible for the upcoming Beefcake Brawl, which definitely needs a name revision because that is basically yeah. the the nickname uh, moniker that. We'll I get the give. focus groups on that one. Yeah. Yeah, we need uh, outside influence in terms of naming this. Uh, I'm I'm not a marketing guy, but uh, yeah, uh -huh. the Beefcake Brawl, aka uh, the the Uber Classic. Uh, welcome to ISP, Mitch Leslie, aka Uber. How are you, my friend? I'm good. Yeah, not too shabby. Uh, I'm. Sojourning in in Queensland, uh, in Australia for a few weeks here, while I'm sort of waiting to get my passport updated with uh, my visa, so I can actually return back to the United States where I where I sort of live and, and be with my family. So, look, bittersweet. I'm here seeing my family in Australia, but I can't 
leave until that's all sorted. So in the meantime, I'm yeah playing some fab, uh, catching up with family, and yeah, hanging out with you, big fella. Well, I big fella. I mean, I've seen some of your streams, your your uh, your wonderful fitness streams, which is great. And that's a that's we'll we'll dig into that a little bit later. But like you mentioned, oh, sure. it's just funny that you're you're in Australia right now. Uh, you're you're currently you know you make residence in the United States, but your origin is in Australia. I just recorded uh, an episode of the Stack with Matt Rogers. The video is t- we're recording this on August second, which is a Today's a Tuesday. Today's a Tuesday. The video for yep. the stack would come out on, I think, the day before ISP does. It's all kinds of we're, we're in the future. We're in the past. It's all the nonsense. But ultimately, one of the things that I mentioned to Matt, who's from New Zealand, I said, uh, I, I asked him, I said, all right, Matt, Canada is to the U.S. as New Zealand is to Australia. And I'm wondering if that rings true to you in any way, shape or form. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And especially having spent some time in the US and sort of seeing how they kind of treat them. It's like your sort of cr- sort of crazy cousins, you know what I mean? Where like maybe your demeanor is just slightly different, you know, in bulk. So, you know, I think that the sort of, you know, Americans, I think Canadians is kind of, you know, polite. We have less um, sort of pleasant sort of stereotypes to apply to New Zealanders in general. Um they are good at rugby, though, that's for sure. Uh, cricket, yeah, not so much. Uh, they can't say the number six properly. Big problem. Also, uh, they, you know, if you get them talking about fab, ask them for uh, a deck check and uh, see what they say. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to go down that route. Matt Rogers might mm. be one of the kindest souls in the entire uh, game, and I didn't want to do that. But, yeah, you're right. Every time that there's the, the term deck check uh, uh-huh. pronounced with that New Zealander, you know, style, it is... It kind of takes me back to sort of sex ed when I was in sex education in, in uh, elementary school learning about this stuff where you just you can't help but giggle. I was just like, just say it. Just say the word. I, every time every time Hayden Dale gives it to me, if, you know, he's talking you know, he's talking about a deck tech, right, which they do a lot of over at Arsenal Pass and uh, always, uh, you know, gives me a gives me at least the corner of my mouth turning upwards. So it's nice it's nice to hear dialects from the homeland, you know, while I trawl through all this fab, fab content as well. I do love how represented Australian New Zealand are in their offering uh, sort of in terms of fab content which is great, but uh, but yeah, no, we love our New Zealander brothers. We definitely, you know, we definitely step in and protect them if they ever got into a, a scuffle. You know how it is, but we also love to hang a bit of, uh, you know, hang a bit of crap on them every now and then. Yeah, it's like you know, we're we're kind of like as Canadians towards the U.S. The same thing. We're kind of like your little brothers, uh, you know, except we're we're the little brothers who have all our shit together. And uh, but yes, yes. but if someone wants to pick a fight, we know that you're, you know, we're gonna call on our bigger brother that. It's kind of like you need the muscle at certain points, and I get it. I, I get it. It's, it's just the way it is. But the origin story is what I'm most fascinated in right now, Mitch Leslie, because, again, you've cut your teeth very, very uh, profoundly within Overwatch League. You, you know, Overwatch is a game that I have been obsessed with for so long, and there's Overwatch 2 now, and things are ramping up again with, uh, with OWL. And mm. you yourself, your origin stories regarding cards, because – Again, uh, I know you from Fab. Uh, I mean, I've seen yeah. you casting before, but I've made you know connections with you through Flesh and Blood. So, wonder. I'm just kind of wondering what your origin is in terms of card games. How deep does it go? A lot of people have roots all the way to the '90s with Magic, and and all the way now through till Flesh and Blood. Where did it begin for you? Uh, for it to end up where you are now, which is winning tournaments with Flesh and Blood. 
Yeah, sure. I mean, I, it, it actually goes back way before I even got my hands on cardboard. Uh, a lot of the times from cartoons that I watch. So, like, you know, I'm 30 now. So, like, during my, my childhood shows like Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, and even the, the lesser-known uh, Duel Masters show, it was called. It's a cartoon, right? Uh, and obviously, like, you know, while they didn't exactly apply the rules as they are in the card game, that the things were still there. So, I really loved those shows. And in grade four, when I'm about 10, me and my brother, are we're making our own cards based on almost like the Yu-Gi-Oh series because you know I don't we couldn't quite convince mum to get us those I think she bloody caved a couple times and got us some Pokemon cards so you know when I was a young kid I was into that stuff yeah we were literally cutting up cardboard and making you know making cards and obviously my deck was busted and I didn't follow the rules and it wasn't balanced at all so you know ever since I was young the idea of sort of um, CCGs and, and, and you know competitive card games appealed to me a lot as I sort of grew up we, we sort of grew up in the countryside in a small town of about you know like oh god 12 13,000 people so there's not a scene there uh, it wasn't until I moved to Adelaide when I was about 17 which is which is about nine hours by car but it's the closest capital city I lived in a country town called Port Lincoln where I could actually play some and I did start playing Magic the Gathering uh, back during like the morning tide law wind block so Quite a few years ago now, but even then, um, you know, didn't really have the wherewithal to sort of play uh, sort of competitively for long periods of time. But I, you know, had maintained that casual relationship with Magic as as I grew older. And then when Arena came out, obviously, I was able to, you know, experience the game without having to get myself out of tournaments. Um, and, you know, through a mutual friend, I actually linked up with Tan and Grace, who, of course, is a, you know, a, a familiar face on, on, on the show. And obviously, a mate of yours going back. And he was a fan of Overwatch. We met through sort of like a mutual Magic friend. And, um, you know, it was like maybe, oh, geez, a year ago, where I hit him up. I'm like, yeah, I see you doing this flesh and blood thing. Tell me about it. You know, I mean, I played Magic, but never really was getting out there and competing at tournaments, just more casually. Um, and he's like, oh, well, it's complicated. It's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very different beast from from Magic, but I tell you what, I've got some mates. We're in a Discord, a Discord that doesn't exist. Doesn't uh, exist. Come on in and, and learn learn a thing or two. And uh, the rest was history. I mean, there I'm watching, you know, some of the best players, um, you know, just just play practice games, and I'm asking questions, and everyone was really receptive and and helping me. So it wasn't long before I picked the game up, maybe about yeah five six months ago, and and started you know taking it a bit more seriously and saying, you know, you know what, I'm going to invest here. Uh, in playing Flesh and Blood, and I'm going to get myself out and try and play. Now I live in Southern California, so try and play as many tournaments as I can and, and really uh, make a go of it. So, I yeah, for the last three, four months, I've been trying to play as many as I can. And even out here in Australia, while I'm here, I, I played a skirmish last night. Top eight had got blown out in the in the quarters, but had a good time. So, yeah, really enjoying just getting out to as many armories and uh, events as I can. The, the the rise from I remember when you would just kind of um, I wouldn't say lurk but you were you're asking questions and such or watching uh, I think it was a lot um, leading up to ProQuest season not this one that just passed but the ProQuest season for the New Jersey Pro uh, Pro Tour mm. uh, that whole season I remember you were just kind of a lot of of I was playing a lot of games at that point as well and the and like you mentioned it wasn't just a matter of okay you're jamming a game with one other person and you just play a few games and it's done it was you playing against somebody else and there was this crowd of about five or six other pro level players that were observing so the amount of scrutiny was incredible the amount of pressure because you're just playing those games but i remember you were in there watching the games and you would ask questions and you would also play the games and sort of get to that point where uh yeah. you know the levels of understanding but the privilege that i think uh, you know we get being able to play with some of the best players in the world uh is 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 just exceptional in terms of that meteoric rise where from where you said picking up the game and asking tannin questions about just the complexity 
to actually where you are now, which is top eighting skirmishes. But not only that, your success goes beyond just top eighting skirmishes. You've won events. Yeah, look, uh, you know, I would say it, not so large. I think I sort of started playing after ProQuest season, so I missed out on those. Um, but, you know, I tried to chain as many armories together as I can. And, um, you know, it, armory's an armory. And, uh, you know, I did try and spike them because I was this the highest level of competition I had at the time. But SoCal has some insane players, like some incredibly, incredibly good players. A lot of the guys that you sort of see that are appearing in, like, you know, top eights or, you know, at least up to top 32s of these pro tours, right? Names like Andrew Rudin, Philip Vu, a lot of these guys that, um, you know, Andrew, I know was, uh, I think he was came second in Battle Hardened in uh, in Jersey, I think uh, playing Prism. So th there are some really, really special players out here. And I have the chance to sort of, you know, cross swords with them, you know, on a weekly basis. Um, the scene's really lively out here in SoCal. But, I, you know, like a lot of my, um, while a lot of my sort of wins come off, you know, you know, playing Briar, obviously, through a time where, you know, the only issue was, you know, running into Starvo. Obviously, that was sort of before that sort of rotation. Um, you know, I uh, managing to get a few wins there. I think my first armory I ever played, I managed to win it. But it really is because, like you said, I literally have access to two different national champions, uh, you know, in this Discord we were playing. And I could harass, I could harass Matt or, you know, Tarek would blow through sometimes. You could always take him aside and ask him a few things and you've got great players, you know, like obviously yourself, you know, Tannen obviously just randomly turns up and top fours, you know, an RTN whenever he, when he pleases, but guys like Brian and, and, and Dale and Mac as well. So I got fast tracked because I was lucky enough to be able to ask these guys questions. And I, to be fair, I'm pretty voraciously consuming fab content when I can, but I don't know if I have aspirations as a, as a, as a pro in that game, but um, it's, it's a very rewarding endeavor to try and sort of learn it and sort of, challenge myself by you know taking on competition when i can i gotta say that it's not necessarily on the radar it was the same with me where i was just like no nah, I've, I've always been a casual player i've never done tournaments i've never tried to but that first i remember my first top eight uh was sort of that nice little feeling and then it's like you just want it every single time and then that top eight you want it to it's like i want to advance around i want to keep going and you've been doing that and i i have every confidence that that's something that you're you're going to get to uh and you know we will see pro tour uber it's going to happen i guarantee you it's going to be it's on the radar for sure dude yeah you know if i but if i have my uh if i have my cake and eat it too i might end up sat next to you guys on the commentary desk because obviously as you kind of alluded to is probably that's where my passion vocation connect in 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 in, in the greatest way um, yeah. and that was part of my initial interest in, in really starting to pick up flesh and blood because I've been a commentator now for about 12 years. That's uh, a damn that's, long time. Yeah, I mean, I was probably about as early as it was possible to have a career from it. I was I was sort of, it just lined up that I was able to sort of do it. And, um, you know, that is something that, you know, I started to realize that's something that I really am passionate about doing and I've been very fortunate to be able to sort of forge a career doing that. So that was also one of the things about Flesh and Blood that really excited me. So I've never had a chance to sort of do card game commentary, but if there's an opportunity to do it, I, I definitely take advantage of it. Um, uh, and I'm, I benefit, obviously, from having guys like yourself and Tannen, you know, who I'm friends with to sort of uh, learn from and, and also talk shop, which we do a fair bit. Well, th that's what I want to sort of dig into as well is because you've really established yourself as a premier uh, caster from fast-paced action, like FPSs, first-person shooters, and Overwatch team-based uh, FPSs and objective-based mm. uh, shooters. Those are... Uh, listen, I'm not at, in any way, shape, or form trying to equate this to what you do, but there was an Ontario Overwatch League that I cast on my own. Uh, I say mm -hmm. on my own. I was the only person 
operating the cameras, running the stream, doing the entire thing. It was like just my way of saying I would like to try it. It is, an, is abs it's an absolute circus. It is a circus, and even in my mind, I was like, even if there was like three other people helping me out, it's it's exhausting. So the, getting into the casting element of Overwatch and you having this future aspiration of wanting to cast uh, card games in Flesh and Blood – you know, do you think that ha that there's would you have a preference? Because in my in my eyes, they are two completely different monsters. Where yeah. Overwatch, the second that you stop to sort of think about things, you're already well behind. You've missed the Moira alt. You've missed the Reaper setting up on the high ground to drop the you know the Beyblade on somebody and things like that. But here we are, and it's flesh and blood, and you you have the the joy of having someone like watching a Matt Rogers think his turn through on Oldham and yeah, you're like slab daddy just sliding that frosty four up and down the the uh is, the play mat. <laughs> exactly we actually were discussing on the stack I said I, I one of the the statements on the stack was having a um a graded token is the ultimate flex and he's like damn right he's like nothing like giving your friend a sliding a slab over with a frostbite on it a per like a, a gem Bam. a gem 10 uh, of a frostbite and saying suck on that but like uh yeah, like it, they're two different ball games, and I'm wondering what you think would be more difficult. And yeah. I mean, this that this is a loaded question because you know you don't have much experience in one element, and you're like the tits on the other. So like, I'm just wondering in your mind, uh, you know, there's obviously parallels and there's bridges between the two skill sets, but do you find that one you might find one more difficult than the other? Yeah, I think you're like you're out of your tree if you try and approach the two, you know, with any similarity. Like if you go from if you go from trying to cast a, a fast-paced action shoot like Overwatch with limited downtime into a game like Flesh and Blood, and you apply the same approach, you're not going to get very far at all. Um, you'll be you'll be out in your ass in seconds. Uh, I've been fortunate over my career uh, to have cast like stuff at pretty different paces. So as a League of Legends caster, which I did for a few years and ended up doing some larger tournaments like Intel Extreme Masters, there is there is a lot of difference in pace. So you start in a lane phase that can be pretty uh, sedentary, um, you know, fairly fairly slow as you sort of build up and there's trading and you know, players are trying to freeze a lane and you know the game changes. It gets a bit faster pace as you go. But how I got my break in esports e casting was casting a game called World of Tanks. So I'll, I'll pitch you this. It's a 7v7 format, and these guys are in literal tanks that are historically accurate, and they are trundling at each other across a battlefield. So that is probably the closest analog I have to, to Flesh and Blood, and it's not really... I don't think it does it justice, but again, that's the kind of game where very, very slow, it's very conversational... The amount of time we spent talking about like gun caliber and how the front of the tank's armor was angled so that it would deflect and you know so I, I, I mean I've cast Goat Simulator uh, you know <laughs> I've had to I've really had to because when I work for ESL which is for those that don't know is a, a basically they they provide white label services for for all kind of game developers they put on esports for games that don't have built-in esports departments so that yeah Goat Simulator was one of them Water Tanks Battlefield League of Legends Counter Strike Call of Duty. Um, and I couldn't just go there and say, I'm an Overwatch cast because the game didn't exist then. So I was told, you're casting these four games this week, Monday through Thursday, four different games. If you're going to make a full-time salary, you're going to get to work on this. So um, that was how I you know, managed to bridge from being like a hobbyist, like in my room, casting Australian Call of Duty 4 matches to to actually you know making a living out of this this vocation. So 
To, to answer your question in a really roundabout way, it's very different. I think that flesh and blood casting, in my opinion, um, it's pretty varied. I think you, you get the creme de la creme. You, like, you get yourself like yourself and, and Tannen and, and Scott Lieb up there in the booth on Pro Tours. And then you have like a, a lot of content on, on YouTube, which has like, you know, guys that might get a Discord call and, 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 and chat some bollocks or, you know, somewhere in between. So the biggest element, the most important part, I think, in flesh and blood commentary, first of all, is a really good understanding of like uh, the objective... Uh, of both the players and also like what their considerations are when they're developing lines. I think my favorite part of flesh and blood casting as someone who, you know, pursues casting as a lifelong sort of endeavor is being able to sort of make projections either with information of the player's hand or otherwise about what lines um, they're sort of trying to craft, uh, maybe some of the optimal plays that they can make and also discussing how a blocking player or a player that is sort of, you know, on the back foot is trying to sort of uh, pivot tempo back in their favor, whether it's by equipment or whatever. So uh, chemistry, I think, is really important. So something that, like, you Pro Tour mob have uh, really nailed down really well. I think, like, you know, between yourself, Brian, Tannen, for example, especially when you brought in, obviously, Armada and, and Red Zone, having that chemistry, the understanding between you is all really important. Uh, and then, obviously, having people that, for example, understand what Kano's trying to do. You know what I mean? I thought, like, that's one, something I really loved about Armada, uh, getting to hear him in a Pro Tour where... Um, you know, Kano was coming out of the woodwork, and obviously, like Sasha and 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 uh, Alexander Vore, I think it was, brought this this hero into sort of top thirty-two at the very least, and it be- became a huge part of the conversation. The Arsenal Pass boys were really trying to make ways with with that uh, hero. You know, tough to prepare for that if you if you don't you pick up Kano and Goldfish him and sort of go for it. So, having a deep knowledge of of playing all those heroes is really important. There are some elements of play-by-play casting, right, which is kind of what I do. That's my specialty. That do apply, right? Being able to bounce off your co-commentator, being able to talk about the here and now in such a way that, um, you know, gets people leaning forward in their seat and sort of to be able to build anticipation for the next turn cycle or for a player's reaction uh, is really important. So it's a completely different beast. Um, I've been a fan of, you know, flesh and blood coverage and before that Magic the Gathering coverage for a long time. So... I think it's very unique, and I think it's really nuanced. And people that can really nail it, uh, I think, you know, can be easily underrated by viewers because there's a lot going on there. I think a lot of people tend to sort of underestimate what it takes to be a good caster. And I'm not trying to say this to pump our own tires because that's what we do for a living. But ultimately, okay, self-serving. I'm I'm on board with that. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, let's uh, show of hands. Who thinks that casting is hard to do? Uh, <laughs> all right. Yeah, it's unanimous. Uh, but it's just more than just naming the cards. And a lot of people look at it, it's like, well, I can do that. I can name the cards that the players are playing and and describe the 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 impact right but it's more than that it's it's about uh lines of play it's about understanding um strategy history of the cards you know um when you can pick up on a player changing their approach or you know uh, you know why is an opponent or why is a player taking long to make a a, a seemingly obvious decision things of that nature and what I've come to realize is that when it comes to casting card games, you need to almost be on the same caliber of, you know, you'll never be on the same caliber, in my opinion. Like, the way that I always tell people, it says, I try to be as good as I can, but there's a reason why I'm not on the on the camera playing rather than yes. just the voice. It's because I'm not that, I'm not as good as these players. If I was, I'd be out there playing for 25 grand, you know, rather than making a fraction of that casting. Um, the The point is is that when it comes to Overwatch, I was never a great Overwatch player. I was an okay, good Overwatch player. But I found that even when casting Overwatch, 
I was comfortable casting Overwatch because I knew what the heroes did, and a lot of it was reactionary. But I knew that my the level of my casting was kind of it was very superficial. And this is where you kind of feel that you know from genre to genre, from title to title, there there's there are certainly parallels and skill sets that you can borrow from one game to the other. But ultimately, yeah. unless you're really good at the game or you have a, a lot of depth within it you will get exposed as just being, I don't say a hack, but a wannabe, a pretender, as it were. And in in, flesh, in card games and in Flesh and Blood, probably more than any, because the reality is the fundamentals carry over, I think. I'd like to I'd like to hope so. Um, and in my practice cast with Flesh and Blood, I've found that to be the case. But how can you foster an appreciation in the viewer for what a player is doing without being able to understand just how you know complex or how impressive that is? For example, like... You need to be able to convey what two auras on turn zero from a prison player means. Yeah. You know what I mean? You need to be able to convey when a guardian player is actually pivoting off of an aggressive strategy to a fatigue one, and how that is signposted from from them, because that's the stuff that gets people leaning forward. Because that's where you can appreciate the the nuance in this game. Because in theory, a turn cycle is like okay, well, all right, three damage per card. You got four cards. You know, like that. You know. To, to, to break outside of that very basic sort of framework of flesh and blood requires some, you know, impressive feats of prediction uh, or sequencing, for example, um, you know, or in Fire's case, just pop stubbies and Art of War. But um, there are these things that allow you to break out of like the, the very basic framework of flesh and blood that, um, you know, put these players sort of uh, above the rest. And if you don't really, you got to appreciate that, then... You know, it's very, very hard to get an audience, a member of the audience, to appreciate them. That is my calling, I think, as a commentator, is to um, it, we're almost evangelizing um, these individuals at what they do, because I think what I've been really fortunate to find in in esports and in competitive endeavors is that at the top level, one thing that links all competitive endeavors together is that the these these performances are put on by really extraordinary people. And I think that's what draws me to the craft is actually um, expounding on it or sharing the stories of these people and also fostering an appreciation for, you know, these extraordinary individuals in the viewer. That for me is one of the unifying aspects across casting that's always drawn me in. It's where my passions found its conduit to spring forth. So, you know, in Flesh and Blood, you really have to understand what's going on. I think just reading the cards and saying what they're doing is fine and it will get you through, uh, it'll get you through sort of 1A class. But There's, that next step is to is to appreciate what's really going on, and the interplay between both competitors is crucial. That's it, and it's it's going to take experience. For example, it's like okay, you know, way back when there's a Starvo player playing against a Chain player. It's turn three. Both life totals are hefty, and you're thinking, or like you know, or like well, why didn't or, or the why didn't the Oldham player play? You know, eat the five or six damage to play a fused Oakenold, uh, you know, like, why did that occur? It's like, well, you know, it seems like the obvious play, you trade one for the other, and it just, it seems optimal, but there's like, you, you know, understanding that what, what this overall strategy is, what the, what the, you know, the, the, the consequences. Yeah. Why did the Bolton player get up from the table and walk away when his opponent played C&C &C and he has a card <laughs> yeah. in Arsenal? You know, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's my favorite, you know, watching Bolton plays. Like, there was like, what was that, what was it? The talisman that blows up the Arsenal if mm -hmm. you play like, a, if you do two damage. I saw it in like a calling in SoCal, and it's like a really well-known bottom player and Chrissy Arley's playing Briar and he's played this bloody talisman of warfare I think it was and uh, the bottom player's just gone he's looked at looked at the card and he's 
he's just leaned back and just lost. Yeah. Thought, oh, oh yeah. Where's that's, your, that's where's your interaction? And I want to be able to, ex, you know, express that to the viewer. Yeah, exactly. Oh, the table is flipped for the following reasons, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> exactly. this, this penny rare that we just found here absolutely ruined this guy's entire pro experience. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I always convey to people is, you know, uh, one of the best compliments I get, frankly, is not like, hey, you did a good job or this or that. It's when I'm at events and I'm performing well or or even just playing in general. And one of the best comments I always get is is, is when people say, it's really nice to see casters playing the game. And if I'm top eighting, you know, RTNs or ProQuests, it's when people are saying like, hey, it's, it, you know, it's, I'm glad that you're doing well. It means a lot for, for the game when the people representing it actually play it and understand it and perform well in it. I find that for myself, there's a responsibility, and I, I'm wondering if you feel this as well, a responsibility to the game and the broadcast for you to be on the best level that you possibly can and not just recognize card art, like to understand the meta, to be literally mired in it, knee deep, it's in your DNA, you've played it to the nth degree. I'm wondering if you feel that same kind of responsibility, be it with Overwatch, and you and I have played Overwatch together, and you know, uh, you're a great player, you're a great you know, quarterback, uh, as it were, of, of what's going on and such. And I'm just wondering if you feel that same pressure of if I'm not, you know, not necessarily Grandmaster or whatever, you know, the, the, those oh. ranks are in Overwatch, but just just playing and succeeding uh, at, at whatever the game is that you're, you're representing. Do you feel those pressures to be on that top level? Yeah, especially because for me, I feel very strongly about reciprocating the investment that pro players make in their craft in my own way. So now, their well, what their endeavor looks like is 100%, you know, committed to the game, being the very best best player that they can. I want to give 100% too, but it might look like you know. 70% being the best caster I can be, 30% trying to make sure I can appreciate the game at that that level, right? And that requires you to be there yourself to a degree. You don't have to be GM. You don't have to be at the Pro Tour necessarily. But you owe it. I, I feel like I owe it to the players to reciprocate their commitment um, in order to... Because it also allows me to more accurately convey just how extraordinary they are by, un, by understanding that. So... I think that 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 balance probably varies across, uh, you know, across games, and it really depends. And I've faced. Look, I'm I'm like a diamond Overwatch player. We spent some time in Masters, so it's like it's okay. If your GM is it's it's very bad, but you know what I mean. Um, you know, I, it's above average. Uh, but it's important to me to be able to look at these players and and appreciate their circumstances in a game, and then that means then I can actually convey just how you know, impressive or, you know, important, you know, what they're able to do in game is. And the same applies to Flesh and Blood. It it, 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 it weighs upon me uh, to be able to, to to step up and try and match the commitment of the player uh, as a caster. And that means, you know, you embrace professional development, not only in your fundamentals, but in your understanding of the subject matter. That's professionalism. And I hear it all the time. It's like, well, what, you know, I can do what you do. It's like, okay, do it. You know, it's going to take you time. It's going to, I always tell people, I say, you want my job, come yeah. get it. I'm not, nobody's standing in your way. But the... it's not that glamorous either. I, you know, like, and I, I say to people, like, oh, like, it looks fine, like what you do. I'm like, that's true. But I also spent six years in my, you know, in my room trying to just, just sounding crap and doing it to like five people on a radio broadcast and just, the only reason I managed to get through it is because I really loved it. So you can try and do what you can try and do this, but if you don't have a true passion for it, you probably just won't make it because the 
it's such a circuitous winding route to become a you know a broadcaster in something as niche as video games and even more you know in card games right it's not it's not a, a voyage that you can probably complete unless you have a genuine passion for it which is a great vetting mechanism i think uh for for people in our positions um I encourage everyone to give it a try. But, yeah. You know, a lot of people won't be able to get past the fact that I can hear my own voice here, and I hate it. You know what I mean? There's a lot of <laughs> that stuff you just have to make your peace with. I think. I, I tell people it's like you're you want the biggest reality. It's that I think my first paycheck I uh, came after about two thousand hours of recorded video content that I've produced uh, about yeah. that much. And I say if you're comfortable with putting that much time in before you see a dime, then by all means. But like you said, it's not a glamorous. Uh, endeavor and the the one thing that I mean for me it's the best thing in the world because this is what I absolutely adore doing so I will never it, it to me it's never about the money and trust me getting paid well is always a good feeling because I, I really like to eat and pay rent it's a great thing to have like you know yeah those are the kinds of first world problems I'm okay with rent and food bills are fun, something okay but like it's a reality that people need to dig into that it's not limos and being famous and, and like, you know, like it, uh, the way that I've been described as your card game famous, as in you, you know, people know who you are within this very small niche of awesome people. Yeah, but I call I call myself niche internet micro celebrity. <laughs> micro celebrity. <laughs> I've never heard of it returned uh, referred to as that, but I like it. Yeah. Um. So now that we're we're you know you're you're getting your feet wet in flesh and blood, you've had a lot of reps. Now you're getting serious about it, and uh, I want to know if there's any. We've talked about parallels in terms of casting in the broadcasts of Overwatch versus a uh, card game like Flesh and Blood, but what about the parallels in terms of play styles? You know, control, aggro, is there something like that that is similar in Overwatch? And I guess the follow-up to that would be, what would be the GOATs of, goats of, of uh, Flesh and Blood? And, the... and for those who don't know what GOATs is, you can also kind of describe that better. Yeah, okay. So GOATs is a composition in Overwatch that came about as a result of... Uh, durability and safety being like uh, put on at a premium by players. So they wanted to play the safest, most high healing, most high durability compositions possible. And it ended up being uh, three tanks and three healers. No, obviously no damage dealers, no DPS, because they just were considered a little too, a little risky to play. It resulted in about nine months of pretty stale gameplay at the pro level uh, a lot of these t comps that are sort of routed each other it, it was like a, it was like an older mirror yeah where both oldums just decided to take the e-strikes and the oaken olds and throw them over their shoulders and just fatigue each other so that that to me is that, that was goats um yeah okay good question so I think at the moment, obviously, between between the roles on Overwatch, I think, obviously, offense is like playing Fire or Briar, something very, very aggressive. Uh, you know, I feel like I feel like supports are like prism players, to be fair. They like to sit back behind the shield, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, or, or Dromire players, if they, they're the bloody Sigil of Solace and they just give them the Dragon's Go again and get in life at the same time. Um, and then, I don't know, flex players is the best way to put it, is sort of mid-range players like me. I, I love playing mid-range uh, in Flesh and Blood. That's why, I'm, that's why I sort of play Dorinthia, for example. And uh, yeah, that to me is, is um, you know, like a, a player that can sort of play a few different roles. But now Overwatch is role-locked. It didn't used to be. We used to have players that would sort of, you know, on pro teams, they would be able to play tank and DPS and support if required. But now it's sort of two of each role. And, uh, or now, rather, it's so two, two and one now in 5v5. So... Yeah, a little bit of a stretch to, to think about it, but I definitely think my playstyle in Overwatch has carried over into Flesh and Blood. I like to try and be um, flexible as possible. Yeah. 
Goat says the old Amir. I don't think there's ever been a more accurate, you know, parallel. Just they just don't die. They no. just die. That like they just they just fatigue each other. That's it. I I got into Overwatch during the time where there was no you can duplicate heroes on a comp, and that was it's like all right, I got to deal with like uh, two Reinhardts and two Bastions yeah. and two Mercies, and it's like what the hell do we even do? Like how yeah. do we even get through and this? Well, teams used to basically, so in Overwatch, obviously, there's a payload that moves by the attackers and the defenders have to sort of prevent it from advancing. Teams would literally all switch to D.Va. And one at a time, they'd run out to the cart, they'd get ejected from the suit, then they get removed, but the cart wouldn't move because they were contesting it. Then the next D.Va flies out of spawn, does the same thing. Then the next one. And there's a constant stream of D.Vas coming out and stalling the cart uh, and, you know, ad, ad infinitum. So, obviously... There were some really busted things you could do uh, in the game when there were no restrictions, but the developers wanted you know to give that agency to the players to come up with those things and eventually realize that they were just not good for gameplay, so they put some restrictions on it, and here we are. Uh, well, here we are indeed, uh, and uh, Overwatch 2 is around the corner. We've played you and I in the beta. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Surprisingly, uh, or surprising to me, it might not be surprising to others. Tannen Grace is a little bit of a, a a little bit of a spike when it comes to this game. Like he's a he's not bad when it comes to shooters. Yeah, he's a little dirty on the Mora though, isn't he? A little bit of suck, a little bit of golden rain, a little bit of this, that, and the other. He's uh he gets in there. Yeah, I mean that's kind of how I ran into him because he was uh, a Houston Outlaws fan, I think, and we had a yeah like a, a mutual friend that sort of linked us up and we played uh, a few games of Overwatch together. So it's kind of cool actually to have that. You know, where we spend so much time talking about flesh and blood and sort of theory crafting and playing games, but sometimes you know we can mix it up and play some Overwatch together. It's uh, it's always fun. I kind of like being able to approach the game and play with my friends and not think about the optimal strategy. You just kind of have a good time so yeah if a flesh and blood casting tannin is not the same as uh you know moira tannin who just ulted and killed five people and is, it is absolutely talking crap to the other team yeah like, yeah that's a tannin that everybody needs to be aware of i mean i will i will be honest both you and tannin you get your, you get your you get your trash talk on big time <laughs> when you play yeah. yeah whether you're playing reinhardt or farah you are like every every hammer swing is followed up by an expletive you know what i mean every, oh every... <laughs> I I think there's a there's a very there's a clip. I'm gonna see if I can dig it up, and maybe play it. Um, you know, play it in a break over here. But there's a clip where you were doing a stream, and I asked you, uh, on your stream, I said, uh, is Flake the best Reinhardt player you've ever seen? It does help it. Is Flake the best Reinhardt player currently not signed out? Are you good at Reinhardt? I know you play a lot of Farah. I can never tell. Because normally when I'm playing, all I just hear is fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, especially in fuck you. And I see the kill feed, I'm like, okay, clearly Flake's doing something, but I have no idea, like, you know, how mechanically, like, involved that is, or if you're just, like, you know, farming people, so. Listen, and this, this primal, the primal side of you comes out when you've got that, that, that hammer in your hands, you know what I mean? Oh, like man. A... Listen, when you fire strike the entire team, you just, you know, you, you fire, or sorry, you, you, um, uh, what's the, hammer down the entire team. You pin one to the wall. You fire strike the mercy in the air, and you swing and clean up the rest. You you gotta say a four letter word. You have to. Like, how else are they gonna know that you were that yeah, awesome? Yeah, it's in our. I think it's in our genetic code. It's one of those sort of involuntary reactions, like breathing. So it's fine. <laughs> I don't begrudge you that. So I gotta ask you then, what heroes you're currently gravitating towards? Because everybody eventually has their home field advantage, as it were. And I know that recently you and I, you played Dorinthia against me as I was trying Icelander, a little CC yeah. version, and that was a gritty game. I thought I had that one in the bag, and you actually you muscled that one out in a really greasy way. But is Dorinthia your <laughs> new 
your new bay or like what's your deal here like no weird... i mean when i i've always gravitated to the, the warrior class in flesh and blood i really enjoy the um the efficiency of you know sort of depending on your weapon as well uh in terms of you know like as opposed to you know performing you know multiple sort of uh, attack actions so when i first picked up the game she definitely caught my eye but i was again there's enough of a, there's enough of spike in me that sort of put me off when i realized just well look if you understood what Dorinthy was likely to do in terms of attack reactions, you probably probably kind of had her pegged. I came to the game at a time where she was just not good and couldn't do a thing against Starvo, and obviously Prism was just an auto loss for her, and, and still is in some senses. But um, some of the some of the tools that she got in the classic battle set, um, you know, meant that sometimes when you swing with a, a naked Dawnblade, it doesn't just mean uh, you know a glint, the Quicksilver, or your Bolters. Um, you can obviously you can represent a lot more with just, just a, a naked Dawnblade swing. So uh, upon realizing that, I said, okay, well, now we have some options, and obviously Glistening Steelblade is a nasty threat in and of itself, and run-through is a great way of saying, okay, well, I'm going to get go again on this weapon. I'm not going to waste a glint from an unblocked Dawnblade, and I can actually load my second swing a little bit more. Um, I think that's made a huge difference to Dorinthia. I still think that obviously Prism will gatekeep her in a big way. And I think the thing is, is that all these cards I've mentioned, these new cards are yellow. So, you, you know, you're bringing a lot of yellows into a deck that generally, you know, is pretty resource greedy and that can create some clunkier turns. So, um, there are a couple of Dorinthia players that I really admire, look up to, and I love watching their games. Uh, one of them is Josh Lau. Many people know he's a, he's a warrior aficionado. Um, I, you know, obviously Bolton and Dorinthia are heroes he loves playing. Another maybe lesser known player that I want to shout out is a guy by the name of Shin Inoue, uh, who actually won his RTN on Dorinthia, uh, and, and pilots more of a Dorinthia that brings in those powerful attack actions in terms of, you know, like you have a full suite of a race face and CNC in the sideboard, and he actually, you know, brings in a spicy blue pummel to try and make sure he can get them across the line. So um, it's it's an approach to Dorinthia that I like, and it sort of keeps you current because you can have these threatening attack actions as opposed to, you know, a lot of Dorinthias might be just bring nourishing emptiness in, uh, like a one or two of, and try and threaten that. But I mean, really enjoying uh, watching as many sort of, of Shin's videos that I can and understand his approach to Dorinthia. She is the hero that first gripped me, as I think is the case for a lot of people. But um, I think that a great player like like Shin um, is, is able to get success out of that. And that's kind of what attracts me um, to her because in Flesh and Blood is the kind of game where you can have these specialists that can overcome sort of a, a weak meta um, you know or maybe people sort of selling their deck short I think Yuki's a great example of that you know she brings a, a Lexi deck she brings a, such an incredible understanding of how to play that archetype how to play the deck and how to tool that for different metas that she continually finds success even in a metagame that's a little hostile towards what Lexi's trying to do that specialist nature that attracts me very much to to flesh and blood, uh, and you know also Dorinthia because I really love uh, how the warrior plays warrior or light or you know light warrior for example like I I love those archetypes it's a lot of fun, um, but you know if I want to spike I'll sleeve Briar up I do enjoy Rune Blades I like I like the focus and the the emphasis on sequencing that these decks sort of give you and they often ask you to solve a lot of problems in in, in that sequencing sense and you know understanding how to bounce off of five card hands or also, maybe you don't block all that much and, you know, navigating matchups where maybe, you know, Iceland or Alexi might force you to block and having to play through that. I really enjoy the calculus that that provides you. I try and, you know, if I had the time, I'd try and play a bit of everything, I think. But yeah, it's I'm a warrior stand, uh, you know, to my core. And I do think that Dorinthia has game. I think that, you know, mid-range decks... Once I can force five, for example, to block. If I, I love forcing people to block. I love saying, I want to do this. I'm, I'm asking for a card. Give me a card. You know, I, I want to sort of force my opponent to actually consider my game plan. Uh, and obviously, you know, aggro decks will only do that. 
when your opponent gets low, they're not always threatening a lot of on hits. Like, Briar might draw you a card. Some opponents don't care about that. But Dorinthia says, hey, if you don't give me a card, obviously Dawnblade's going to sort of start to out outscale you. In the same way that Lexi says, if you don't give me a card, I'm going to take it from you anyway. So that's th those mid-range strategies really appeal to me in a big way. Uh, so... Uh, that's where I'm at right now. I want to still work on Dorinthia. And I think a lot of it, when I lose a game of Dorinthia, I don't go, this deck sucks or this, because I know I'm net decking great players, but I, my fundamentals are what I want to develop through playing these mid-range strategies that require me to be flexible in my game plan. So that's where my fab journey is at right now. Well, that's good to hear. And, uh, you know, Dorinthia is, what I really appreciate about this game is that there's no... There's no hero that is just straightforward. Um, there's no hero that just is like, well, it's just easy. This is just the way you play it. You pitch a card and you swing an, uh, swing an attack and you use two cards to block and you just rinse and repeat. Every hero has some nuance to it and yeah. so many layers that you peel back that eventually you, you can figure out. Dorithia is one of those, you know, everybody has a, a bookshelf with books that they buy and haven't read yet. And that's Dorinthia for me. And I'm just yeah. waiting to, to find time to sort of go through all the other heroes that I want to learn. Uh, you know, Reinar, I want to learn Dorinthia. I yeah. want to learn. Uh, but that's, that's definitely a fascinating one. And uh, the other important element to this is the fact that there is a major tournament that you've essentially been uh, the, the catalyst for. Uh, now I have called this, Uber's Beefcake Brawl. There, uh -huh. there there, needs to be a better, you know, the, the Uber Classic. You don't even want your name mm. associated to it, but I'm just going to throw you under the bus here. Uh, no. <laughs> no, no, ideally, no, uh, if possible, not. I think, so yeah, what is it, obviously? Because obviously, you know, we've not really sort of talked about it, but, um, you know, in my, I, I, I voraciously consume fab content, right? Whether it's podcasts or like, you know, I love the gauntlets that go up on the, the official Flesh and Blood YouTube channel and a lot of the content, like guys like Ethan Van Sander producing, I, I love that as well. Um, I thought to myself, like, this content is great. I feel like there's a niche here where there are a lot of really known community members and top players in the Flesh and Blood scene that we we hang on the edge of our seats for when, when a pro tour comes around to see these people play. They're disparate Geographically, they're disparate, so you won't get to see them necessarily get coverage of like a, a, a ProQuest or an RTN. These are the places that sort of come together and only play at Pro Tours, and you might not see some of them. Maybe they do a Brendan Patrick and lose on camera and bubble out or, or, or whatever. So I said, you know, let's invite some of the the top and you know some of the some of these people are just incredible players and you always see them sort of you know like your Michael Hamilton's of the world right like they're not huge personalities but they're incredible players uh you know and uh, you know on the other side we've got people like Dollar for example who who is by no means a pro at flesh and blood but really loves the game and is obviously a huge personality why don't we bring these people together uh and and let's just get a tournament going like so the first question i said was how do we make this in a way where it's it, you know it joins the ranks of all this other really compelling, exciting, and watchable fab content out there you know on YouTube, for example. So one of the things that you know myself, you, and Tannen is also involved in in sort of putting this together is can we create something that has great production value that involves compelling people, specialists, or pros, uh, and you know let's get commentary over the top of it. Um, I will say, like blatantly, it's also a way for myself to start, you know, casting some fab because I think that, you know, you're not going to see me at a pro tour anytime soon because you know I've got other commitments and, and frankly, I haven't proven myself. So having an opportunity to cast some of these games is great and it's definitely a big draw for me. But, um, you know, so what I said, I said, look, I'll put down a little bit just to, you know, provide an appearance fee for all these players because, you know, I, these guys are playing game, you know, these, these matches for us. I, I want to give them some incentive. It's not going to be like, hey, I'm going to use my friend's clout to try and bring these players together. 
which was probably possible, but didn't sort of sit right with me. Um, and I said, okay, well, let's let's you know get these guys to play on, on webcam because I lo- one of the things that I really loved about Fab content that I found online is there's like a TTS league, right? Where like you've got like Hyperloops and team, uh, you know, hometown TCG Ascent and the Card Guys. We're all playing these weekly leagues and they're, they're so good, man. Like you've got to go check them out. The Card Guys has them on their YouTube channel. All these guys do where they all get in there and they commentate it and it's like they're proper matches with top players. I think it was like Sebastiano Cavallo versus Tyler Horsfall had a fantastic matchup in one of these online leagues. And I'm like, I love to, let's do this, but let's do it a little different. Let's get them to try and play on webcam. I think it's something that, you know, probably sits a little bit better with um, with Legend Story Studios because we want to, you know, keep it product-centric and have their product being played with and there's nothing wrong with doing a tournament on, on, you know, TTS at all. I think that makes perfect sense and I make extensive use of that myself. But, you know, if we can, you know, we're involving content creators and people that do a lot of this stuff, they probably have setups that can cater for this. Can we get a watchable, really viewable broadcast where they're playing with the cards themselves because that tactile feel that physical nature even if it's over webcam is something that a lot of people really love about flesh and blood so all this being said let's put together a tournament with 16 really well-known players whether they're pros or community figures it doesn't matter and have them play let's provide them uh, you know with an appearance fee and maybe if we can get some sponsorship we can actually you know, pro- provide some tiered pricing for them and make something of it it was never supposed to be a big deal it's definitely not supposed to have my name in it but it's it's <laughs> You know, it's something that I felt strongly about. I don't think I don't think fab content is missing anything per se, but I think there's a ton of opportunities to create really cool content. So, I mean, I'm really thankful to have yourself and Tannen, you know, alongside to sort of help me put this together because at the start I didn't really know where to begin. But you know, obviously I'm in Australia and my life's a little bit upside down, being being where I am at the moment, literally, I guess, um, and figuratively. But we're hoping to get it together, ideally before Leal, but after if we have to do it. We're going to get these games. We're going to cast them. We're going to bring in some, you know, guests to help us cover them. I hope like Brian Gottlieb's around and like your Matt Rogers and stuff like that. And let's just let's just add to the already fantastic sort of um, you know collection of great fab content that's out there. Yeah, and the, this these for those who don't know, uh, it's it's going to be a, a sixteen person invitational tournament. Uh, the stakes are are you know Uber's going to be putting up uh, some cash and incentives and we're, we're still searching for uh, sponsorship. So if you're out there and want to help sponsor this this tournament, uh, please by all means reach out to Uber or myself or Tan and uh, but some of the names associated with this uh, are phenomenal. When you mentioned that, you know, you want to get the best of the best, we have the best of the best. Uh, you yeah. know, in terms of players, I'm, I'm going to read off some names here uh, who are going to be okay. involved and playing in this. There's going to be DM Armada, Red Zone Rogue, Matt Rogers, uh, Yuki Lee Bender, Tark Patel, uh, Tark Patel, Tyler Horsepool. Uh, I believe Michael Hamilton is playing. Isaac Crute. Like these are, I, I think that entire roster of 16 players. I think there's. Like three national champions. There's like, you know, easily like calling eight, winners, eight or yeah. nine calling winners in there, c- countless battle hardens, and, you know, infinite top eights of major events. Like, it's absolutely absurd uh, who's involved in this. And all of these games are going to be, like you mentioned, cast, uh, they're going to be produced and broadcast and uploaded uh they're going to be on 93 media's youtube channel so this wherever this video is this channel you can go ahead and subscribe those are going to come but yeah i i'm excited more so because of exactly what you said because these are players who i you know when we when we're setting up um a broadcast for a calling or a pro tour or whatever what we hunt for are those those matchups that everybody wants to see you know it's like 
like who paired off? It's like, well, if you got Brendan Patrick versus Matt Rogers, it's like people will watch it's, that. It's on. Yeah, it, yeah. It, they could be playing for you know uh, a, a pack of gum, and people would be desperately wanting to tune into this. So, you know, in terms of the mission and the intent, was it just, you know, was it all about just creating these dream matchups and and giving them something to play for, or was there more associated with that? Well, I think that was uh, a big part of it. You know, I think that's kind of something that sort of draws us to it. It's the kind of stuff that, you know, I get excited about when I think when I think about these sort of matchups. And um, yeah, look, I think it's, there's probably a, a bunch of different reasons depending on sort of who you are for sort of getting involved. That was definitely a big part of it for me. You know, it's like, how do I create, you know, how do I you know, incentivize some buy-in from these people that have busy lives and are, you know, have busy schedules? And I do want to say very quickly, Huge shout out to those that have already agreed to come and be a part of this because again, it's you know it's not like we're giving them a bloody PTI or twenty five thousand dollars. You know what I mean? Like the, the the good nature of a lot of our competitors here uh, and their desire to buy into something that's very new and this is the first iteration it might be pretty imperfect is uh, is really appreciated. But um, I you know I think that there are some fantastic stories in Flesh and Blood and the game at a high level is just unlike any other card game. And if we can, if we can even reach a fraction of that with with this, then I and bring new people sort of to the game, or at least you know maybe someone's on the fence and wasn't sure about it, and they're seeing how these matches are played out. That ma- match with the enthusiasm of the broadcast, and if we can you know give it some really high quality production value, then that's all that's all aces for me. I think there's like a ton of good that we can sort of do with this um, in terms of moving the game forward. So uh, and yeah, but but I'll be honest with you, like a big part of it was like man. I want to cast some flesh and blood, you know, <laughs> like that was, that was uh, just admittedly like, yeah, I said, I, I really want to be a part of this. So I, I've got really high hopes for it again. You know, we're not trying to blow it out into anything that it's not, but um, the buy-in from our, our sort of contestants has been fantastic. And that's a huge, hugely encouraging for me personally. Yeah. The earliest iteration of 93 media, um, 93 media is the brainchild and owned by, by Mark Gibson. Uh, and the earliest iterations of what, 93 media did was something called the wild hunt north american championship for gwent before Mm -hmm. there was any footprint of the game in north america in like 2017 or so um and that was a tournament that was out of my pocket out of his pocket we put it on live as a lan in philadelphia and because we did that and broadcast that and had like a thousand or two thousand concurrent viewers for that little tournament on Twitch, that's what put me in the sort of in the in the crosshairs of CDPR, which got me hired as a caster and a host for their cool. events. So I'm all about if you know if no one's gonna give you a shot, so to speak, just make it yourself. Just make it happen yourself. Not like you need. To, to sort of you know uh, prove yourself to anybody, you're a fantastic caster. But being a fantastic, but, you cast- know, I'd like to prove I'd like to prove that I'm I'm dedicated to the community though as well. Uh, and, you know, I think that you know, maybe my casting resume might speak for itself if you know my work. But I'd also like to demonstrate that you know I care a ton about this community and I really want to support it in whatever way I can, whether it's this or sort of any other way. That's important to me too, I think. Yeah. I, well that is definitely important. It's that's something that's definitely appreciated as well is the fact that there's um there's no entitlement in that regard. It's not you're not coming in and kicking the saloon doors open and saying, Hey, do you know who I am? Like, you know, this town ain't big enough for the two of us kind of thing. It's just I I love this game. I want to be involved with it and here's what I'm gonna do 
to contribute to the community and to contribute to the culture and 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 we appreciate you for that absolutely um it just it's 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 important in that regard because some people just want you know to jump on whatever their the train is the or whatever the hotness is uh and you know no 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 you know slight against them but it, it showing that you care and that you're involved is also a great way to to sort of solidify yourself within that that culture and, and, and hey hopefully and if it goes well hopefully we can run it back right make it a regular thing and 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 maybe it becomes a fixture of you know uh, the community or maybe it doesn't i think that's also fine but i think kind of giving more opportunities for these these players to show what they're capable of is is never a bad thing right i think i understand why the our calendar for flesh and blood works the way it does and i, I the only thing i think is regrettable so that we don't get the 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 these these top players always together at the same events because they're competing in their national competitions or pro tours are such a there's so many incredible undiscovered players as well so these pro tours are just stacked with talent and so many hopefully we can continue to unearth these like lesser known names as time goes on um but i think just you know i I think you probably feel the same way just getting to be a part of uh any anything that sort of gives more visibility to the game or uncovers potential talent flesh and blood is, is probably pretty exciting prospects so you know, yeah, I'd love to be able to do more of it. We're just going to make sure that we can do justice to, uh, you know, uh, our competitors in the in this first one. So fingers crossed that we can keep uh, keep everyone happy and put on a good show. You're a legend, but I mean, you're not flawless. And I have to ask you, what is your biggest screw up that you've ever had on a live broadcast? Some of the some like listening to you cast Overwatch is a joy, because things that i would say you say and and i'm i've always been very much a one of those people of like you're hiring me you're not hiring the the persona i play on camera like you're hiring flake uh, and and you're getting me with all my foibles and all of my silliness and that's Mm -hmm. what i love about listening to you is because you you get that uber vibe like even talking to you privately in discord calls or just chatting or whatever i'm like yeah man like this is like there's authenticity and for what what uber gets what you get with uber on 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 broadcast is what you get with him otherwise but there's got to be situations where you've either said that you've 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 let the wrong thing slip through oh yeah so hit us with your best one god i had such a problem so when we were doing the first couple seasons of the overwatch league we were operating out of uh, like a large tv studio in burbank la it's where the jay leno show used to be so like they paid a bunch of money to you know have this sort of live setup and I had this problem, and it didn't happen all the time, but it happened for, to me more than anyone else. Where we would be in like a like a casting tribune, I guess it's called, you know, in the crowd. The crowd would be around us there. They'd you know, we get like a couple hundred people for like a Saturday game. It was good, you know. Uh, but we'd walk the teams out onto the stage when we'd introduce them. And um, I'm, there's one day I'm just a bit scatterbrained this day, and I've chugged me bloody coffee, and I'm you know getting myself hyped up, but I'm just something's not quite right, and. My producer's like, okay, listen, we're, we're walking out the, the Shanghai Dragons first and then the Los Angeles Gladiators. This is the order's going to go. I'm like, yeah, yeah no worries. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's left or right, left or right, left or right. The producer's like, you got that? I'm like, yeah, no worries. So it's it's a, an important game. There's a lot on the line um, and there's a, like the storylines are sort of big. And, you know, me and Matt come on camera and we've sort of, you know, we've we've given like the, the, the cliff notes of the matchup. We've done a good top of show. I feel good about it. And I've just gone you know, with some rollicking line, like something about, oh yeah, keeping the shields up for the city of Los Angeles. It is the LA gladiators. And then out of the, out of the tunnel comes the Shanghai dragons (laughs) and the production is listening to me and they don't know what to do because they hear me say that they're listening to me. So, 
the lighting guys have put up the purple lights for the gladiators, but the dragons are walking out. But the screen, the LED screen, shows the dragon's logo and stuff. So it's just a complete fuck fest. And you know, it's, it's because I've just, I've just, com- I've been reminded three times which team comes out, and I've still got the wrong one. And the Shanghai Dragons players are there. I think that you know. You know, a lot of them from from South Korea, so they walk out here, and obviously they don't don't they don't sort of hear as as I say it, but they know what I'm saying. They know I said the gladiators, so they walk out, and half of them turn and walk back into the bloody tunnel, and the other half are like standing around in the middle of the crowd, looking around, and everyone's confused. So, because I just can't remember the order of these bloody teams walking out, I've created the most cuffed moment, uh, you know, on our broadcast, a broadcast which really aspired to be the most one of the most professional esports products out there, and I've just and I'm in the crowd, so I can't, I can't chuck a wobbly. I can't have a tantrum about this. I have to keep it together. And I've just, I've just gone like this, uh, and I've just not looked at the crowd because I know they're looking at me, and I know they're laughing. And my co-commentator, Matt, he's just looking at me with his slack jaw like, how have you messed this up? And I've just, I've just gotten past it. And then I hear this voice in my ear, okay, just call the, dra- the dragons. I called the dragons. They walked out and was fine in the end. But, oh, man. And so I'd cause a massive traffic sort of you know carnage from from calling the wrong team out so it's two yeah. teams like it's it's not like you're there's like a a, a crew of te- like you have to memorize like 10 different things in, no. in a specific it's two you had a Just. you had a coin flip that you had previous knowledge of three times and you still yeah. you still screwed it up but to be honest uh that is probably not the the least professional thing that's happened at the uh, Jay Leno theater uh Jay Leno being the least, <laughs> being the, oh, my. the the all-time <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I mean, I, I'll be honest. I won't. I won't say too much. But the dressing room there has like a secret tunnel leading out of the dressing room. Uh, and I, I felt we, we looked around. We were like, "What the heck? There's a door, and it goes through like the masonry, and it comes out onto the street." I'm like, "You know what? No, don't want to know. That's fine. It's here. That the, my so my dressing room, our wardrobe room was was yeah the the, the green room there with this random bloody tunnel. So yes, I dare say you're you're right. I love it. Well, uh, thank you so much. Mitch Leslie, aka Uber, for a wonderful conversation. I mean, you're one of the best, and uh, it's not over yet, my friend. We've got another segment called Go Again. Will you join us for Go Again? Absolutely. I'm all about that uh, second dawn blade hit, my guy. Let's go. Beauty. All right. Uh, we'll be right back with Go Again with Mitch Leslie right after these words from BCW Supplies. Instant Speed is proudly supported by BCW Supplies. If you need protection for your cards, be it sleeves, deck boxes, storage, organizational tools, or hey, are you a comic book collector, a coin collector? BCW Supplies has your hookup. Use the code ISP10. Get 10% off all of your orders. Go to bcwsupplies.com. BCW, protect, store, display. All right, it's time to go again. We're going to go wide on a series of questions. It's uh, Mitch Leslie, a.k.a. Uh, AKA Uber. Wow, I'm having a Jay Leno moment of just screwing it all up for people. Uh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Just got to bring it back. You can tell I'm a Conan fan, like, through and through. Yeah, I, you know, I prefer Conan too, man. Yeah, guys are legend. I went down a rabbit hole uh, recently of watching easily about five to six hours of YouTube videos about people breaking down the Conan versus Leno thing. And, uh, yeah, nothing gets your blood boiling more than seeing people you cherish and adore get screwed by, gr- by greedy, greedy types. But uh, yeah, that's a whole other story. All right. Uh, rapid fire. You can go as deep as you want here, Uber, but don't feel uh, pressured. Are you ready to go again? Cool. Let's do it. Yeah, let's go. What is Uber's hidden talent? I- I'm good at remembering names. 
actually. And I just, just words. So like one of the reasons maybe I'm good at my job is because I remember these random ass words. Like I have a like, really extensive vocabulary. It's not really useful for anything, but turns out casting is, is all about saying the same thing 5,000 different ways. So it, it ended up being perfect. You're not wrong about that. Unless it, unless those words are gladiators and dragons, then you have no freaking idea. That's uh, totally <laughs> a good. Uh, number two, this yeah. is a two-parter coming from Sleep Coma on uh, on the from the Instant Speed Discord. Uh, two questions for Uber. Number one, what similarities are there between casting CCG tournaments and Overwatch League events? And what's the best tactic to build up excitement uh, for a match and uh, create a narrative for the audience? Also, bonus. Any chance we get to see a Flake Uber casting collaboration? I, I I like that. I mean, I'll answer the last one first. Absolutely. Uh, sooner than you might think, uh, to be honest. We've got some stuff in the works, as we talked about earlier. Uh, okay, the parallels. Look, I think a lot of the... the, the I mean, I would have to have done a Flesh and Blood event to, to truly be able to answer this, but I think a lot of the fundamentals are really the same. So working off your co-commentator, especially being a host, like in the play-by-play anchor position, a lot of the work you have to do there is pretty similar. Uh, a lot of the back and forth as well as a, as a play-by-play caster, you really need to talk about the here and now and you need to discuss where our decision trees might take us. That's something that I think also applies. And making extensive use of a color commentator, I think their job is probably the most similar because a lot of the time the analysis requires what has happened and what may happen as a result of this action. Uh, and in Flesh and Blood, that's extremely important because you need to understand sort of the direction a player might take and what the consequences are of like a dominated crippling crush or a Herald of Erudition that goes unblocked or Phoenix Flame that ha- uh, sorry Phoenix Form that has th- three flames on the bloody board. So that is quite similar. The, the, where it differs is definitely where you sort of the devices you use in your speech and diction because. There are not as many oppor- points where it's appropriate to peak in terms of your pace and volume as it might be in a FPS. There are still some, uh, but they, I'd say there are fewer and further between, and you really need to nail them in, in CCGs. I love it. Uh, the second question was uh, how, building excitement, I guess, and, uh, and sort of narrative. So, great point. Uh, one, th- one way I like to try and build narrative is, first of all, understand the history of the two teams. I want to understand their head-to-head in the past and what you know can significant events may have transpired between the two rosters. Do they share a player? Has someone gone from one team to the other? Is there a grudge match? Was there a, a map five that went all the way last time they played that you know it provides a springboard into this matchup? So understanding what the stakes are from a perspective of comparing the two teams' aspirations uh, and where they sort of sit in the league and what they're playing for is really important. Uh, so narrative is part of it and then building excitement is a, is a different story because I want to talk about the stakes a lot right uh, and I want to also sort of shade that with where the teams have come from and where they're going so that's how I will build my story a lot of time going to a grand final I want to talk historic at top of show I want to build up a narrative between the two last time they played I want to talk about the last time they were in a game that was this important that's something I did last year with the Shanghai Dragons versus the Atlanta Reign in the grand final two teams with uh, you know storied histories not so much against one another because they're from different regions but in their home regions I wanted to sort of nail down so uh, yeah there you go love it this one's from uh, House, who's somebody who's uh, played Overwatch with you and I. This yeah, is the yeah. this is the Grandmaster Anna player uh, asking, what is uh, what's the biggest gamble career wise that you've made uh, that paid off and one that didn't, and what did you learn mm. from both? Yeah, interesting. I've been really lucky. Uh, not too many of my gambles have not paid off. I think. 
Um, I'm just still sort of waiting to see, you know, wh- where the wheels come off. But one of the gambles that paid off for me was definitely leaving Australia to go and work uh, in esports. I have an engineering degree, aerospace engineering, and there were definitely opportunities for me to sort of pursue that career further. The biggest gamble I took was probably choosing not to pursue that career and actually just working in like a, a, a pharmacy, like a CVS or like a chemist warehouse, depending on where you live, for two years while I sort of continue to pursue that hobby on the side. And it was only after two years where it really turned into something. So I took a big risk bowing out of the engineering industry to, on something that may not eventuate. I got pretty lucky. I don't know if it was the most informed risk that I took, but it sort of worked out pretty well. Um, and yeah, risks that haven't really worked out. So I think sometimes like uh, the biggest risks that I take that haven't really worked out come down to some of the, the way that I deliver my broadcast. You know, I bring a lot of jokes or I try and use one-liners or a lot of sort of... Um, you know, things like that. And some of these jokes just kind of fall flat uh, a little bit um, or they maybe, <laughs> a lot of the risk I take, they're really obscure, like in-jokes. Like I made a, I don't know if you read Brandon Sanderson, uh, Stormlight Archive, obviously it's a real favorite series of mine. It's like an obscure reference from like one of the characters in the book. Like who the, who, who reads this, you know, or like how many people really read that? So I, I don't think I've had too many of my risks fall flat. I think now I've, you know, I've got a, I've got an 18 month old kid. I've got a partner over in the States. Um, so I don't take too many of those risks and I probably have less, you know, ability to do so, but I'll let you know if one doesn't pay off. So far, I've been blessed, very fortunate to, uh, to not have had too many blow up in my face. Yeah. The biggest gamble is always the, the one where you actually commit to the, to, to taking, you know, your, your show on the road or, or committing to esports. That was my yeah. biggest one. I mean, y- you, with your aerospace, uh, engineering degree, I was uh, I was working um, you know in in the airline business in like on a on a pretty solid path to you know being pretty high up over time and whatnot and like it was it was a tough decision but it it it's not necessarily always about money it's about passion and happiness and yeah. the gamble I took was security to chase to chase happiness and I'm glad I did and I'm glad that that paid off but I know that for some it doesn't work that way my biggest gamble also was making a reference in Gwent tournaments there's a card called the emissary uh uh-huh. and um I made a deep space Star Trek deep, deep space nine Ooh. reference that's a deep cut that's a deep cut yes yeah. <laughs> I would I would refer to the card as uh Captain Benjamin Cisco and like <laughs> and one person would tweet at me. They're like, "I got that one." I was yeah, like, "Yeah, yeah." It's always it's always one person, but you know, and I always let that justify it to me. But there are like thousands of people that are like, "This guy's out of his tree." Yeah, I'm like, now they're like, "Benjamin Cisco," and I'm like, "It's." So I wasn't a, I wasn't a Trekkie, you know what I mean? So like that one would have gone over my head, certainly, unfortunately. But it's not for you. Those are not for you. From uh, Ralph Mazzone. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that uh, Ralph. Uh, correctly uh so this one says most difficult caster skill to train up and master yeah uh okay that's a a really good one i think a caster's ability to be specific um to be detailed without you know without waffling and using too many words being concise but detailed is extremely difficult to do especially in a game like overwatch um and a lot of casters even at the professional level don't get it right when i coach casters when i give feedback to casters it's the biggest thing and i said you are not being specific enough and you are not using this airtime adequately uh something that i still work on myself uh i next to that i'd say a caster's ability to modulate pace volume and tone all together 
and to use those three sort of vocal devices to to sort of heighten moments in casting it's a lot of casters are really good at like two one or two of those things but all three is a really really rare thing and when when you hear a caster that can do that you you can tell straight away that they're they're legit there's a lot of different ways that you can kind of really hammer down a moment. There's, you know, there's the words you choose, the pace, the volume, the intonation. Like, there's so many yeah. different colors you can paint a picture with when it's with your voice. Um, I've always found that some of the hardest things for me is to abandon a point I want to make because the game has progressed beyond that. You yep. know, listening yep. to someone speak and you're like, yeah, I have like this brilliant point. But if the if the ship has sailed, it's like, you know, and every time I force that through, and I force that through in the past, every time I've done it, I've been like, oh, the moment's gone. Like it doesn't make any sense now. You know what I mean? Yep. So every time I've like, you know, gotten, you know, needy about needing to say the thing that I thought of, it's it never works out. So it's very hard to, it's very hard to let that go though. I know. It's similar to that scene from Seinfeld where George is driving home and he realizes the perfect thing that he wants to say, but it's all like the the the. The moment's over. He's already on his yep. way. It's yeah. It's 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 long gone. Uh, next up, <laughs> I like this one. What kind of player is the Instalock Widow of Flesh and Blood? Now, for oh. for those who don't know what an Instalock Widow is, it's a very specific term to Flesh and Blood. Can you describe what an Instalock Widow is and what the significance of that player is and how? Oh. And yeah, sure. So an Interlock Widow in, in Overwatch, obviously Widowmaker is is a sniper character. She could be considered the sniper character. And the people that Instalock her generally are trying to win the game on their own, um, whether they're tilting or whether they genuinely think that they can have a huge impact. And more often than not, it doesn't have the intended effect because Overwatch is a team game, whether 6v6 or 5v5, and Widow is very powerful but requires a lot of space being created by her teammates. So in Flesh and Blood, obviously, being not being a team game, it's a little harder to say, but I would say it's like a player that just wants to rush the sort of most powerful strategy and, and sort of... Uh, for me, it was ch it was chain players, uh, you know, in, in the past format, like someone who wants to play something really aggressive and not think too much about blocking and just be faster just race right now it's fire people sort of uh it's people that force fire in uh in your drafts but i guess that's kind of the best way to play so maybe not uh maybe not quite accurate but yeah it's there... uh it's a phenomenon we encounter frequently in uh in ranked games whenever. i like yeah. it uh here we go this is from fabled academy alex from fabled academy one of the best people in the community a big shout out to fabled academy really enjoy their content yeah one tip to enter esports as a content creator. Now, Fable Academy, you've already entered esports as a content creator. You're already, already a well-renowned one, but it just isn't from a general uh, standpoint, I guess. What would be a good tip to to offer someone who's looking to make waves in this space? Yeah, sure. I think um, if you're already a content creator, then you're off to a great start because I think you have a, a skill set that will really serve you well. Uh, I think esports in many communities is is chronically underserved by content creators. I think Overwatch is actually one of those for sure. Um, like anything, it's about finding your niche. So how do you how do you get involved in esports or like what part of esports are you interested in? Do you want to do analysis? Uh, are you interested in being a play by play commentator? Would you be a producer, someone who would sort of you know, put these shows together? I think that's a really important first step. And the second one is like kind of like what we're doing with this 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 invitational tournament is just just do it. You know, create opportunities to show what you're capable of doing because there's no cost um you know to just starting to create content around an esport and in most cases people are really receptive to it you, you create this content and you head over to whatever competitive hubs there are for a certain game so for overwatch it's r slash competitive overwatch and you can post it there and you can get a lot of feedback on it and you can sort of get a feel for what people enjoy 
Uh, I generally find that communities react well when you know content creators come and and and, and sort of try try and serve them because ultimately, obviously, you know, you serve yourself by citing the creative urge as a content creator. But I think that like people that follow esports are always you know ravenous consumers of this content. I can tell you, with someone like I spend literal hours a day consuming flesh and blood content. I go, I trawl for God knows what. It's like a random. It's a random skirmish in Birmingham where uh, a bloody fire player is having to be told how Shuko works. Like, I'll watch all of that bloody video or, or whatever. So um, getting out there and just, yeah, putting something to... to especially if you're like the Fable Academy, you already have a good understanding of what makes great content. You have a huge head start. So obviously, really cliche in that sense, but find what what you find compelling about esports and serve and serve that urge with your content. So, what is the flesh and blood equivalent of a C9? Again, you might need to sort of give a little bit of context to what a C9 is. Uh, yeah, so a C9 in so C9 is uh, is the acronym for Cloud9, which is a team in early Overwatch who had a real tendency to to walk off the payload or to leave the objective inexplicably at uh, really important moments. When you're defending an Overwatch and the attacking team is on the objective. You can stand on the objective and you can contest it, right? And so they won't be able to progress. So the cart won't move when you're standing on it as a defender or if it's playing around like assault maps where you'd stand on a point and you'd have to fill a bar. As defenders, if you have one defender on the point, that bar won't fill at all. It will stop. Uh, so a C9 was something done by this team where like they'd be in a winning situation. They'd be defending a point And for some reason, they'd step off the point. They'd leave the point for, you know, following their own sort of aims and they would allow the attacking team who were in a losing position to actually win the round because they just stepped off and stopped contesting the point. Um, I think C9 in Flesh and Blood is failing to play around Pummel. When that C&C comes in and your opponent is two floating or is representing two cards in their hand and you don't overblock by four, that's a C9. You are going to lose a card and your arsenal, mate. I, I think that's a very good. Uh, that's definitely a great parallel to draw here. Mine, uh, my assessment here is forgetting is is doing all the calculations and then forgetting that they have a tunic uh, a, a tunic resource up and then getting it's like well they can't swing Rosetta they have no they have no cards left and then forgetting about it and then having that just absolutely I mean, crush maybe yourself. just forgetting a tunic counter like you know our boy Fino Black maybe is is more like accessible don't, c9 because we <laughs> don't bring that back up fino we get it you've missed the tunic it's it's you know that that austin though didn't it? i'm just saying oh he'll tell you about that's it. that is definitely arguable uh to say that one <laughs> tunic resource is what changed the dynamic of that game that's a whole other discussion sure. yeah that that's sure. no th those types of conversations are for like those drama hunter style videos that people like to yeah, yeah. we don't we don't do that here of course. we don't like, do that that's, here that's we create our own no, no, content no. okay we are we are the content prime is what we are. i just loved it it was such a meme in the community for a while and uh we got a chuckle out of it it yeah. was wow. it was and like it, it, you have to sort of feel for fino in that position because he, you never know it might have actually changed the dynamic of that particular game but that's all history and fino is is one of the the best players in the world so big props yep. to uh to fino on iceland now keep an eye out for that icelander list Love it. I, I do love me some Icelander. Uh, last one, Uber. What is your walkout music? Again, the pyro's going. Everybody's going banana cakes. And oh. uh, you step out through the fog machine, but what song is blaring? It is 100% Thunderstruck by ACDC. 
Uh, I mean, it's a great song, but like, I feel like that just is sort of just the cookie cutter response. I'm gonna have to. Is it? I gotta put you on blast here for this one. I'm not saying. Look, I'm not. Yeah, am I really a basic bro all this time? Kinda. I mean, are you walking out with a pumpkin spice latte too, Uber? Okay. Uh, I might live in Southern California, but I don't know if it's that bad. Okay. Well, or or something like something. I don't know, something said like Death Magnetic by Metallica. Even one of their older ones that's kind of cool. But I, I, I fucking like, dude, bro, I love metal, man. Anything that's like, you know, kind of driving and you know, Number of the Beast, maybe. I don't fucking know. Is it, if I just reel off a bunch of basic... Okay, you know what? No. No, no. Uh, Rebecca Black's Friday. That's my walkout song. You fucking happy? <laughs> you, you know why? Because people... I'm sure your opponent would just concede at that point. You're like... <laughs> Whatever gets the music over faster. Like, forget it. <laughs> like, not happening. Yeah. I I'll mean, take it, I'll, I'll take the swing and the miss on that one. You know, can't be, can't be perfect. No, I mean, listen, you knocked seven of eight out of the park here. I mean, the, you, nobody's perfect, like I said. But, uh, uh, I'm struck bang, though. Dude, oh, so good. It does. Man. Sometimes it do- the classics are just the best, man. I don't know. You know what? Okay. So, just, just for fun here, this is totally, uh, uh so Rebecca Black, I'm just, I just want to mm. make sure that I read these lyrics properly. Uh, um, yeah, they're, they're actually very deep. She she is a part of our, our yeah. generation. All right. So again, this is bonus content, everybody. But mm-hmm. here is here. So again, we're gonna set the stage here, Uber, for you. Um, th- yeah, it's, yeah. There's like a hundred grand on the line. Okay. There's yeah. like, uh, this is being held uh, at the same venue where Live Aid was was record was was done. Okay. Uh, there's Big thousands deal. upon thousands of people. Music plays and here goes ooh 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 who yeah 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 yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh. yeah, uh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Then the good stuff starts. Yeah. Then the good part. Yeah. Seven a.m. Seven a.m. Yeah, waking up in the morning. Gotta be fresh. Gotta go downstairs. So, I mean, you're not wrong, right? Unless yeah. you have no stairs, in which case, well, okay, maybe it's not for you, but Listen, I have stairs here. So that's what gotta I'm saying. have my bowl. Gotta have cereal because balanced meals are a cornerstone to anybody's diet. If you want to compete at the highest level. Don't skip breakfast. This is like social commentary because not everybody has a stairs, the luxury yeah, of stairs, or a bowl or cereal. So uh, seeing well, you every... Know, you can have it out of the packet. That's fine. Yeah, okay. That's fine. Uh, right. Gotta have... So yeah, seeing everything, the time is going, ticking mm-hmm. on and on. Because you're watching the round timer because you're playing against Oldham and you know you don't want to... You, you got to get it done. So this is this is words for fat players to live by, yeah? Um, seeing everything, the time is going, ticking on and on. Mm-hmm. Everybody's rushing. Because they're all playing fire because they're basic. But not us, okay? Because we're walking out to Rebecca Black. Uh, we're playing some mid-range stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some some classy. Got to get down to the bus stop, Uber. Uh, Got to catch my bus. I see my well, friends. If I, if I O2 drop, I'm gonna I'm gonna bounce. I'm gonna head to Denny's or something. You know what I mean? That's just a part of the grind of life. We're not even to the the like the the hot part of this entire song. Because uh, then yeah. she goes on again. One of the greatest. Like, if you're going down the line, like Shakespeare, Maya Angelou. Rebecca uh-huh. Black, right? Like these are all within the same sphere. Uh, yeah. Goes on to say, kick it in the front seat, sit in the back seat. You know, all bases well, covered here. Yeah, because I'm being chauffeured because I'm the Pro Tour champion. I don't drive my own vehicle. I have underlings that do that for me. Yeah. And the the red carpet is actually just a bunch of uh, cold hall tunics. Yeah. Gotta make weren't up- shredded yet. Yeah. Gotta make my mind up. Which seat can I take? Which one? Am I am I am I seat number one in the draft? Probably, but maybe I want a metagame that maybe I want to sort of, you know, not come out as top seed if I'm you know, I know there's like someone who's notorious for forcing fire, maybe I want to be sat away from them, you know? And then we get 
to the piece de resistance, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this is the last bit of Rebecca Black I will ever speak out of my lips ever again. Uh, it's Friday, uh, Friday. Got to get down on Friday. Um, which frankly would typically be like a day one of a major tournament. So you got to get down yeah. on day one. You know, I'm getting down, and I'm thinking about last minute changes to my to my deck. Uh, I'm letting my friends pressure me into not playing that yellow unmovable. You know what I mean? Like making good life choices in general. Uh, everybody's looking forward to the weekend. The weekend. Friday, Friday, got to get down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend. Yeah, because that's when we're playing Fab. And that's but, when it happens. And at this point, probably I'd say about 27% of the audience have left. That's <laughs> generally what that would be like. So uh, thank you so much again, Uber, for doing this It was this a show. joy. It was a joy. Play, yeah. You're the man, honestly, and uh, one of my favorite people in the business and somebody whom I look up to and always entertaining. Uh, Uber, for those who need more of you in their life, where can they get you know more Uber content? Where should they, uh, you know, and, and, you know, I highly recommend people, if you haven't already, please check out some of Uber's work with Overwatch League. It is a sheer joy to be on that journey while he's calling matches. It is awesome. Uh, where can they get more Uber? Yeah, uh, thanks. Obviously, you can check out the Overwatch League on, on YouTube. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at uh, Ubershouts. You can come harass me there. It's fine. I also stream on Twitch, twitch.tv uh, slash Ubershouts. Uh, sort of five days a week when I'm back home, which I'm not right now, I... I stomp around my gym on Monday, Wednesday, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So I do gym streams there. I hang out, just kind of chat. It's not really about the workout. I'm just sort of there doing it. And then Thursday and Tuesday and Thursday, I'm usually playing games or something else like that. So you can come through there and uh, yeah, follow me over on Twitch. And yeah, hope to uh, have the uh, yeah have the opportunity to interact with you further. And you know, this is kind of my first time maybe you know speaking to the the Fab community as a whole. As many of them sort of you know watch this content. So thanks for having me. And uh, hopefully. We get to play some games down the line, and uh, yeah, I'm glad to be part of this community, and thanks for having me on the show, man. You're a legend, dude, and uh, anytime. You're welcome anytime, and I'm looking forward to the, the Beefcake Brawl, which will get a rename. It'll get a reskin down mm -hmm. the line mm -hmm. eventually. All right, friends, thank you so much for listening to Instant Speed. We will be back next week with another fantastic guest. Don't forget, you're not losing if you're learning. So keep up playing. You might win. We'll catch you next time on ISP. Bye-bye. <laughs> Whoa.